Boston throws it down. Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls up three pointer. Don't miss a beat. Whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four for four! Welcome to the NBA! The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. years in are we now it began 2013 was when the label was first kind of that yep. was when um god what's his name the, the the original guy came in and said uh basically said it's not about like success it's about the process and that's when it all began and then in almost uh, seven years to the day Embiid was was drafted just about yeah seven years and that time the hawks have won nothing they, they went to a eastern conference finals uh and then blew it all up and then they just beat the process and like we're recording on a monday afternoon but like you just said a second ago i'm in shock um you know not just with the hawk success but really just you know we, we start to reflect on this and what a crushing blow to this organization crushing blow for Joel Embiid and you know I, I, I don't know where you want to start with this I mean the obvious one is Ben Simmons maybe a little less obvious is Doc Rivers um, who's lost the most amount of game sevens um, for a coach of his repertoire and it's really it's I mean Sixers fans deserved better than that and they were more more than vindicated to be booing the home team there. And, you know, the only person who didn't deserve it was Joel Embiid. Um, but we, we can talk stats, we can talk strategy, but at the end of the day, this team that's been trying to figure this out for eight years, it didn't work. I mean, we talked about the process earlier on, and this is looking like one of the final straws to this team that they've put together. Uh, yeah, I think uh, obviously immediate reaction. I think pretty much everyone is jumping and saying the process is dead. Ben Simmons' time in Philly is done. And I'm kind of inclined to uh, to agree. Um, what we saw from Ben Simmons, it's just it's just not good enough. It, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. It's something that we've been seeing over the years even with all the great physical attributes of Simmons, the all-star appearances, getting on all defensive teams, being named all-NBA, it just kept on becoming more and more clear that Simmons and Embiid as a one-two punch was just never going to work. And I think this year, the first time as the number one seed, the first time the pressure was really on, there was real, real expectations after a real disappointing year last year. And it's 
come against Atlanta, a team that barely made it into the playoffs. And they've come and beaten them in seven games. And Ben Simmons has just been atrocious, just really, really terrible, offering little to no offense and just really letting down this Philadelphia organization. He took three shots in the last four fourth quarters. That's you can't you can't do that. Dude, I mean the way he looked at the end of every single one of those games is he didn't want to touch the ball. And I mean, you know, we gave him all the credit throughout the season for being a guy whose impact was beyond the numbers. And I mean, he does it all besides shoot the basket, shoot the ball. And we got to give him the credit there. And I'm not going to take that away from him. And, and I, I'm not going to, you know, completely write him off as a player, but we've said it time and time again, the way that he is unplayable in the playoffs. I've never seen it that bad before. And I didn't even think you could get that bad. I didn't think it could be that bad for him to not attempt a field goal in the fourth quarter of a game seven when your co-star has a torn meniscus and is getting double teamed like crazy. And he's, I mean, he's literally got like front row seats to Joel Embiid getting doubled on baseline there. I mean, he hasn't done anything about it. And, you know, we're, we're hearing Doc Rivers, number one, what a, what a question for, I, I, I didn't see who, which reporter had asked this of Doc, but asking him if he's a championship level point guard. Doc Rivers says, honestly, I don't know. And then now he's saying Ben Simmons is ready to work on his game in the off season. Man, where was that for the past four years? Where was that? Where's the development? And I mean, it was clear in how Ben had said it Saturday night when he, when it was Saturday night or Friday night in response to, to, um, to game five. And he was like, it is what it is. I am the player that I am. It sucks. That's the same shit he's been saying for the past three years. It is what it is. I, I am the player that I am. He loves being that that defensive savant. He loves being that that playmaker, but he doesn't. I don't think it gets through to his head that like you're supposed to be more than that. LeBron James said to you in person, "You could be better than me." I mean, what more motivation do you need? Well, what what other? He has every physical tool available to him. He's had the entire organization on him and giving him support and he still hasn't been able to figure it out and you know buyers beware how many teams are going to convince themselves that they want Ben Simmons on their team myself included you know but I I don't know for a guy for his age you know he has a huge ceiling on him but what does it take for him to get there if he's just thinking now about figuring out his shot then you know I, I don't even know what to say about that yeah, I mean, it comes it comes back to mentality. It shows how important mentality is in the game of basketball and the drive to want to be the best and be the best version of yourself. And we haven't really seen it from Ben. And now, obviously, it comes out today with Doc saying, oh, he's ready. Ben's ready to work on his game and all that. Oh, now he's decided that just because the first this is the first time there's really been pressure on him and there's really been rumors that he, he, he might be done here in Philly. Oh, now he's willing to work on his game. Oh, okay. What yeah, a the gloves are off. That is. Yeah. Like yeah. It, he's, he's been dealt with, with, 
with silk gloves for the past four years. And I think now Philly is starting to turn. I mean, I, they didn't really turn on him the way they're turning on him now. He hasn't felt this pressure before. And the fact that it had to culminate to this point, you know, that, that's on Ben. You know, no, nobody can protect him from the fact that he himself as a player has not made significant changes, regardless of him being an all-NBA defensive player, regardless of all these other attributes about him that are fantastic. I mean, it's it's inexcusable at this point. And, and are we both in agreement here? Is, is this it? Is this the end for him? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to think so. Uh, obviously, it mainly depends what Daryl Morey's thinking. You know, he's always been there, been ready to make big moves. So I'd love to, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of the uh, the front office meetings of the Philadelphia 76ers over the next couple of months. But look at what Benson's did. He shot the worst ever free throw percentage with from a player that had at least 70 attempts. He shot 34.2 percent. I saw that. The worst ever. And in the final three games, he put up eight points, six points, and then five points. And then the biggest mayor of all in that game uh, seven last night, he had an open look at a dunk yeah. or a layup, and he yep. gave up the ball to Matisse Teibel, who ultimately got fouled and went one of two at the line. He could have leveled the scores there. That could have, that could have changed things. And the biggest reason why he didn't go for that, he thought he was going to get fouled and he didn't want to go to the line. He, he didn't, he, yeah, he didn't even look at the basket. He didn't look at the basket. And like, oh, that's, man, that's the thing. If it was an that's open three, maybe you'd think of it at the time that was in it. But it wasn't. It was literally just a guy right beside him in the paint that he, that he laid the ball off to, which is getting that from your second star in crunch time in the playoffs. It's, it's just not, it's not, it's not, the level that Philadelphia need or deserve and not what Joel Embiid deserves as a second star. My problem with him too is, is that I remember earlier on in the season, um, you know, this is something we observed throughout the regular season too. Um, and I kept bringing up that Utah jazz game because of how he was doing it against Rudy Gobert, doing it against the, the best defense in the, the NBA at, at that current time when he dropped 40 and the way he would go coast to coast, the way that he, would take his early offense and get to the rim because Joel Embiid wasn't there. But even in the playoffs here, like he, that's his weapon. And I mean, that's Giannis uses it so well to his advantage, using his body, using his physicality to get to the rim and get easy buckets. And if anyone stood in front of Ben, he wouldn't go for it. I mean, Bogdan. Bogdan Bogdanovich should not be the guy who's standing in front of Simmons and then he stops a break. Anybody. I mean, Trey Young was would even stop him on the break. I mean, I'd expect Ben to at least be looking for his points in the transition because that's that's where he becomes elite offensively. But when you're not even getting that out of him, and that was like the biggest disappointment for me because you know, if he's not hitting his free throws, if he's not hitting jump shots, that that's another conversation. But him not getting to the rim, him not posting up, and when he finally posted up there and like. And he had that open shot and he just didn't take it. I was like, that's it. Like that. He couldn't even manage that. And it's not even his shot right now. It's his mentality. And how do you fix that in Philadelphia? If he doesn't come, if he doesn't come back next year, a completely revamped player in Philadelphia, like that, that's the, the fans aren't going to have it. And how, how much for a guy who already goes through these mental issues 
on the court, how is he going to survive that? And I don't think he will. So, I mean, I think that's even more reason beyond the fact that Daryl Morey, if you don't think Daryl Morey already has three, four or five viable trades on, on his board right now, then you're crazy because this guy as soon as there's a viable move for him, it's going to happen. And a really interesting one. Um, usually I don't, I don't see a whole lot of interesting ones from uh, first take or anything like that, but what do you, CJ McCollum and Ben Simmons, interesting swap there. And that was floated this morning. And, you know, a trade like that, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the, the realistic one, but something like that needs to happen and you need to do it for Joel Embiid. Yeah, I think that would be a good trade at, at this stage. I think, obviously, say if this was heading into uh, heading into this season, you would have been thinking, oh, you're trading Ben Simmons, or then you've got to be going for Dame Lillard in that situation. But Gross. after what we've just seen in the playoffs, it's not going to be like that. But at the same time, the main thing Joel Embiid needs is a guy that can make plays for him, a guy who's not afraid to shoot, and a guy that can be relied on to score the basketball. CJ McCollum c- could do that for him. That could be a, a very viable trade and, and one that could work for both sides. If you look at it in Portland, their main Achilles heel is their, their defense. Ben Simmons was, would sure that up big time. And the fact that they wouldn't need to rely on him late in games to be handling the ball like Philly have, have uh, done and like Atlanta took advantage of. That could be a trade that could work out for, for both teams in a real positive way. But I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll wait, wait and see on that, but it's going to be, it's going to be real interesting this summer to see what, what moves are made. If Ben Simmons can, does he, does he think himself, does he think he can still do it in Philly? That's kind of going to be a, be a big thing. I think if I were him, I would even just work on one specific shot and make that like a go-to move for him <laughs> that he could nail that down and just say, I can. This is high that. school stuff, man. Yeah, I know it is. Saying that. I this know is it is. But no, if he's I done. Him, I'd he's do done. something like that. He's done. He's done in Philly. They have to move him. And like for Daryl Morey as well, biggest motivation for him to not accept the James Harden trade early on was, you know, he wanted to keep those two together. He wanted to keep those two stars. Well, Hindsight 2020, thinking that one through again. The picks, Ben, and whatever young guys would have absolutely been worth preserving Joel Embiid for a, a championship run this year. I mean, that, that's that's got to be in the minds of uh, – I mean, for, forget that people are talking about the Heat. I don't think the Heat had a real, real chance at Harden. I don't think they were putting it together like that. But the 76ers absolutely had a chance at it. And, you know – Back then, it was like, oh, do you want to give up even halfway through the season the way that, that Simmons was playing? You're like, all right, maybe, you know, that was a right call to keep them together. And they're the, they're the best team in the East right now. But then fast forward to now, and when you think about playoffs, especially for a guy like Joel Embiid, you're not there for regular season success. That's not the point anymore. I mean, Joel Embiid has arrived. He needs a finals run. He needs the opportunity to do so. And he's not going to get it with Ben Simmons there. And I mean, that that's that. We, we don't have to go ad nauseum about Ben Simmons because, you know, he's a, he's a fantastic player. But I think it's a well-documented at this point what his issues are. And I still believe that he can flourish on a different team. Hmm. 
He's not going to do it in Philly. I, I still think he has the opportunity to do so. I'm, I'm not sure where that is. I mean, alongside a guy like Dame, maybe. Alongside shooters, alongside bigs who can stretch the floor. If he can be transitioning more into a the five or the four, I don't know. But it, it's such a disappointing way for the, the 76er season to go. And, you know, it's not all on him. Tobias Harris shot 35% in that game. He couldn't hit a bucket. I mean, he was going crazy after that and one he had in the late in the third quarter. But, I mean, he didn't hit any shots when it mattered. The momentum never changed when he had the ball in his hands. And, you know, when you're relying on Tyrese Maxey, who was out of the rotation two weeks ago, like, you just don't have playmakers there. Seth Curry has played phenomenally, but you're playing the peak of, of, of Seth Curry, rather. And you're not getting more out of him than that. Yeah, I think do we do we see do we see the frailties in, in Doc's uh, coaching uh, with with yep. Seth marking marking uh, Garden Herder for the for the entire game basically, and Herder was absolutely destroying him. Obviously, that's an area where we likely saw the the absence of uh, of Danny Green being felt there, which obviously they had no choice. He he picked up an injury earlier in the series, but surely he had to have there had to have been something that he could have done to get to get someone off uh, instead of Seth Curry uh, guarding Kevin Herter, especially the way he was just going to town, knocking down shots. I mean, he was the highest point scorer in the game, or not in the game, for, for Atlanta. Yeah, they they offered no – and that was the thing. They, it wasn't even switching the assignment. Like, they they offered no help to Curry off those screens. I mean, he was by himself. Like, he was just trying to get those through those screens. And it, and it felt like, okay, as long as we don't take away attention from Trey, as long as he's – I mean, Trey did not have a good game. But Kevin Herter, man, I mean, what, what a – let's focus on the, the Hawks here first. I mean, Kevin Herter had an amazing game. John Collins had an amazing game. And Trey Young still kept the pressure on. But, you know, when you have a player that good, I mean, Trey Young has the gravity now of a superstar. You know, that, that's when you have the opportunity for these guys. And, you know, you have the same thing with, with Tobias Harris. I mean – you're getting double teams from from Embiid the whole time. So wh- where are you? Seth, Seth Curry should not be the the most potent offensive player when you have a supermax guy, a near supermax guy, and Tobias Harris on that team. And Kevin Herter, that guy showed up. And they're not even doing this with Cam Reddish or or DeAndre Hunter on the team. They're not even at full strength. And the way that they played defense, man, I I. I didn't see this coming. We we said it last week too, and it just continued to be the same story. The way that they could really pressure the ball, and you know their their rotations on defense as soon as the the, the ball was thrown out of Embiid in the post, whether it was a turnover or it was a contested shot, they weren't getting anything easy. No. I mean, they, they play very good uh, playoff defense. I mean, to, to a level that I didn't see at all throughout the regular season. Yeah, absolutely, and it was kind of almost shocking that uh, Danilo Gallinari uh, stepped up with oh. a huge defensive play that huge uh, yeah. to poke it away from Embiid towards the end. I mean, when you got when you're getting defensive players out of Gallinari plus uh, often fifteen to twenty points off the bench, like that's so huge for this Atlanta team. Yeah, that's that sign looks amazing now, huh? Yeah, big time. And uh, obviously, Bogdanovich was injured uh, for for game. Uh, for game seven and, and for a period of game six, but for the most part, throughout these playoffs, he's been he's been lights out for them. Really, really impressive. 
So what do we think about this matchup here? Uh, well, I, I guess maybe we'll, we'll talk in a second about Bucks and Nets, but just looking for the way that the Hawks have played defensively and and the way they've played offensively, I, I don't know that I can think of a better pair of perimeter defenders to throw at Trey than Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel. Yeah. I, I, and you pair that obviously with, with Joel Embiid and the paint. Like, how are the Bucks going to defend the Hawks differently to prevent Trey from going off and to prevent the secondary playmaker? I, mean, I, I don't think Herter's going to go off every game like that, but John Collins has had himself plenty of good games. He's been rebounding like crazy. And you have got to respect the playoff acumen of Danilo Gallinari and Lou Williams. If Bogdan's healthy, you know, th- there's a lot of playmakers on this team. And at the point of attack, I mean, you have Drew Holiday, you have Chris Middleton. But I, I'm worried about, especially their, their bench unit, how they're going to survive against this Hawks team that has proven that they have a very, very deep squad who can score. Yeah, it, it should be an interesting battle. But, I mean, the fact that, that Milwaukee have come through the Nets, obviously injuries played a big part in that, but they still were impressive. They've come through it. Giannis is playing unbelievable basketball. I mean, we don't know what ultimately the impact that that uh, Embiid's uh, meniscus tear had on him in in these games, and we'll never, we'll, maybe we'll never know. But Giannis is at is at full tilt at the moment. Middleton has got his scoring down after early struggles in that in that net series. This is going to be a real tough battle for Atlanta. They've got to be pretty well exhausted, you think, uh, after obviously going the seven games. But the books did the same, but. The fact that they were never expected to be here, all the pressure that's on them going into every game. But I mean, the way that they're going, the way they're, that Trey is playing. I said this to you last night. Trey Young is becoming a Reggie Miller type of player. Mm-hmm. The unwavering confidence and just the loving being the villain on the court. Like that time when he got knocked down and then started doing <laughs> the press-ups. Yeah. I mean... This guy has got so much confidence in his game and and he's showing up all the time in these playoffs. He's showing that he is a superstar level player. Like last night, he had a real bad game. But in the fourth quarter, he dropped 10 points and was ultimately a difference maker down the stretch when, when Philly didn't have anything. He's doing it all. He's becoming this, this pantomime villain for, for uh, opposing fans. And it's going to be tough for Milwaukee to get by these guys. Yeah, I can't say, and, and I can't say that, you know, oh, well, they got Drew Holiday. Because, I mean, he just torched, ben, I mean, Ben Simmons did a fantastic job. I mean, he held him to, to an inefficient series. But, I mean, this is while playing a, a seven-foot point guard. But if he had those performances against assignments like Matisse Thibault and Ben Simmons, you know, I, I don't think that there's a whole lot of hope that, Drew Holiday is going to do a whole lot to stop him. And in terms of the pick and roll, I, I think that they're going to defend it just as good as as the the 76ers did. I mean, but both of them are, are comparable in terms of their, their defensive impact metrics. And I don't think that – I think it's going to come mostly with how efficient can Giannis be. Is he going to be taking bad shots? Is Chris Milton going to be there? Is Drew Holiday going to be there? Because I, I think what's been an, an excellent sign for the Hawks is that, you know, they haven't always consistently had that second guy going, whether it's Bogdan, whether it's Herter, 
whether it's Collins, Gallinari, but I think coaching wise, they've fed the ball to the right people in the right situations. And it's not just relying on three guys. And I think they're outside of Trey Young, the way that they've shared the ball and they've shared the spotlight with whoever's got it going. I mean, that's been huge for them. You know, they, they have, they're the first, I want to, I, I saw this today. They're the first team to make it to the a conference finals without an all-star. Wow. Mm-hmm. Debate, debate whether or not Trey Young yeah. should have been an all-star. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they, they definitely have all-star talent, but none of them were named to the all-star team. Whether that speaks to how well they play together as a team or not, um, you know, you may make that decision yourself, but I think they, they're a little bit deeper than the Bucks here in a way that I didn't expect. And if Drew has it going, if Chris Middleton has it going, yeah, and obviously you have a chance there, but I think the Hawks are going to bring it every night. And I'm not surprised if this goes to another game seven. Yeah, I'm feeling they're going to bring it, but at the same time, I'm kind of I'm liking the books now. They've got past that the hurdle yeah. of Brooklyn. I'm liking the books. I think they're going to be confident now. And with Giannis playing the way he is at the moment, I'd still be confident of, of Milwaukee getting the job done. But at the same time, I was confident of Philly getting the job done. So what do I know? Yeah. Now, how many how many bad predictions have we had here? The the night before, <laughs> the night before Terrence Mann has a forty point game. I'm saying, oh, we can't, we can't rely on Terrence Mann going off again. We, we can't can't expect that. I can't expect Reggie Jackson to keep doing what he's doing. And then here we are talking about the, the Clippers playing against the Suns here in the Western Conference Finals. But I I think that the Nets, though, the, the way that series hashed out, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate how many injuries we've had. Um, Harden still wasn't himself. And, I mean, it was it was a close game. But I, I think just the the physical dominance that the Bucks brought – against you know the depleted Nets team I mean they, they didn't have Kyrie they really didn't have hard and he, he still wasn't really there um I think a more a huge victory for the Bucks I mean they got to be riding on huge momentum here so to be beating Kevin Durant and Harden um maybe that's the confidence that they needed because it, it felt like you know those first two games of the series um, and even at certain points, you know, it, it felt like, you know, the Bucks didn't have that swagger. They didn't have that that confidence really until they, they started to close it out at home. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was after those first two games, I think we were all thinking, all right, Nets, easy sweep here. But Milwaukee, far back, Middleton found his shot, especially when playing on his home floor. And that game seven on Saturday night, I think it was just everything you could possibly want in a game seven. The tension the talent that go into overtime. It it was so close for the entire game. And KD, again, was absolutely out of this world. Played every minute, put up 48, 9, and 6. He was he was awesome. Ultimately, he couldn't uh, he couldn't get, get them over the line. But again, he was just he was out of this world. And if he was playing with Harden at 100 percent you have to sit think that they would have got they would have got the job done here. So injuries did have a huge impact on it, but take nothing away from KD. He had an unbelievable series and a very memorable one, albeit on uh, ultimately the losing team. But what Giannis did, the biggest thing that he did in that game seven, either side of two air ball free throws, he made (laughs) seven straight. And yeah. that was that was huge for him. That was huge for Milwaukee. 
and that kept them on a good trail. And it probably dented the confidence of Brooklyn a bit when you're seeing them throwing up the air balls and thinking, all right, we're getting to the line without scoring and, and we're in a good spot here. And ultimately, he had 40 points, 13 boards, five assists. Middleton and Holiday stepped up with crucial buckets. And Argyle Lopez, he stepped up big time, went three or four from three. He had four blocks, including that one on He's KD. been saving it all season for this, man. Yeah, that one on KD <laughs> when they were tied at 111 in uh, in overtime. That was a huge block. And that's and then Middleton went up the other end and uh, and ultimately got, got the bucket to, to, to win them the game. I mean, this was a great team performance from, from Milwaukee. And maybe this is the time that they're finally going to uh, make that, that leap towards the NBA Finals. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to make any predictions on this game because I, I've been way off on all my predictions this postseason. <laughs> so many crazy things have happened, whether it's injuries and just how these games have gone. Um, I'm, I'm definitely suffering the loss of the Nets here because I thought that was the easiest bet of my life. <laughs> but um, Sean Marks today is saying that there's going to be a lot of changes coming to the Nets roster, um, which is interesting. Um, you know, you got Blake Griffin there. What, what are they going to do with him? Spencer Dinwiddie is declining um, a new deal and he's going to go to free agency. Um, you have the deal with uh, Mike James, who's a key bench contributor for a while. Wonder what you get out of Landry Shamit. Joe Harris has been a complete mess this, this postseason. You know, he's just been com- just gone. He, he's been um, a top three shooter in the league the entire year was last year as well. And then just right now, he just imploded. A lot of question marks, I guess you, you could say in terms of their performances, but I mean, as long as you get this, this three here, if they decide to clear up some cap space to make some mid-level moves, like they are just going to be the magnet for any um, important mid-level free agent this offseason. I mean, uh, nobody else is going to want to go anywhere if that means playing with KD, Harden, and Kyrie. I mean, it's an instant ticket for a first-time championship in New York. I mean, that's going to be a, I mean, the, the pull of that market is going to mess with everybody else's offseason plans if you're trying to fill out your roster. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, going back to Joe Harris, I mean, if the, think of the hate that would be coming down on him if he was a, a, a top, like if he was considered a top level player, even if he was, wasn't playing in Brooklyn, ultimately it's going, you're going to look to the, to the injuries and, uh, and KD before you, you take a look at, at Joe Harris, but he went three of nine from yeah. three in that game seven. And during the regular season, he was averaging three makes a game, shooting uh, just below 50%. You shoot at 50%? It's, yeah. I, I, it's so mental in the postseason. Um, and it's so hard to predict success in the postseason because a lot of it just ends up coming down to obviously the increased uh, intensity throughout the series. But I think some guys just aren't cut out for it. And I'm not going to say that Joe Harris isn't cut out for it, but it just didn't pan out the way that it has throughout the regular season. And I, I don't, I don't think you're going to see him moving on from this team, but you know, the, the Blake Griffin move was, was cool at the time. And I, I just don't think that that's, that's what they need moving forward. I mean, Blake Griffin didn't bring them enough down the stretch. I don't think to really, be competitive defensively and you know his his ability to stretch the floor was you know it was nice from time to time but he's definitely a guy that I don't I don't think they should be resigning maybe I'm biased 
in fairness, I, I I thought he did pretty well. I was pretty impressed with him, uh, especially in in this series. Ultimately, they could probably do better things with the money. They're probably they probably have to pay him to to bring him back. So maybe ultimately, yeah, it's not going to be the right thing. But he did himself serious justice, in my opinion, uh, uh, throughout these playoffs, and he and he stepped up uh, uh, defensively, especially. Obviously, he was never he was never going to win the battle on on the defensive end when he was up against uh, Giannis in, in in large uh, for large spells, but he did uh, a much better job than I thought he was going to do. But yeah, obviously Brooklyn they've got their three big dogs. They they just have to be clever with the moves they make around them, and they should be perfectly well set to be heading to the finals uh, this time next year. Let's move out to the West real quick. Let's talk about your boy. Be legendary. Be legendary. Every time I every time I see Booker having an explosion like this, that's all I'm thinking about is that that tattoo on him. And you know, a lot of people are like, oh, he's playing like Kobe. He's playing like Kobe. This is Kobe. What I saw to Booker was insane triple double. He had to put away the Clippers. Is a lot of Chris Paul. The way that Chris Paul has been operating the pick and roll and picking apart defenses, getting to a spot in the mid-range. I mean, the way that Devin Booker was snaking these pick and rolls, the way that he was um, exploiting the defensive schemes down to the rotation, it was absurd. I mean, he's playing point in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, how are you going to replace Chris Paul? Even though Devin Booker's been amazing, how do you replace that to beat a Clippers team that's really starting to galvanize here? And... Devin Booker proved that, you know, he does have those primary playmaking abilities when you give him the chance. Kale Bridges, this guy is finally, he started out these playoffs. He looked like his old self, you know, after having a good regular season, but he's coming on and you can't leave this guy in the corner. I mean, he's the, he's that final shooter in the corner on those rotations and the way that Devin Booker can break down a defense. He's that he's perfect alongside this team. And, Totally fitting to to give uh to give James the uh, executive of the year award because the way that this team is constructed, we're seeing it perfectly in the postseason here. How they're starting to ride. Yeah, it's it's, it's been awesome, and uh, oh man, I'm so happy watching D book. Oh man, it's just been it's been awesome to have your first career triple double in game one of the Western Conference Finals when you're down Chris Paul, you're down one of your key players, the guy that many would argue has got them to this stage and he is able to step up like that. The guy's just built for the big stage. He's built to succeed. 40 points, 13 boards, 11 assists. I mean, it was awesome. And the the best part about it was how dominant he was with his mid-range game. He wasn't just knocking down a load of threes. He was working it inside and making little step backs from uh, in and around the outskirts of the paint. And, he was there was a spell around the third quarter heading into the fourth where he literally could not miss and yeah. LA LA just had no answer and this is the LA team with a very strong defensive record they had uh, Paul George guarding him one of the best wing defenders around uh, for large for large periods and he was still doing this and I mean you know me you know I love Devin Booker I've always been talking him up and I'm just so happy to see him getting his chance. He's finally in the playoffs and he is making sure that people remember him in the playoffs. And, and the synergy he had with, with Aiton too, 
the way that Aiton has, has exploded here in the playoffs, his gravity has multiplied. So, I mean, whenever they're doing a pick and roll action with Aiton and Booker, you, you can't, you can't just hard hedge. You have to respect the role. And that's, that's game breaking there. They, they are finding a combination here. that's game breaking that you wanted to see consistently from day one that you drafted Aiton. I mean, that was the dream. That, that was, that was a dream that you have, <laughs> this is your, you know, the, I, I hate these comparisons, but you know, in, in the same way that you have your, your Shaq and Kobe, you, you have game breaking moments where, you know, you can't defend that. You can't defend that. Are you going to bring help? Okay. Well, Mikhail Bridges is going to shoot a three. Like what, what they had moments in that third quarter and into the fourth where there's quite literally nothing the defense could do. And I, I think that's also on Tyron Lue. You know, there, there, there had to be an answer that they had to stop the momentum there because Booker was just going off. And, you know, kudos to the Suns because they had that figured out. They've shown that they have the defensive intensity to bring it down the stretch and that offensively, you know, they don't just need Chris Paul to figure it out. I mean, the, the way that they space the floor, the way they, they shared the ball to each other, um, I, I can't remember how many assists they had this game, but it felt like every single shot was coming off an assist. And, you know, credit credit to, to um, the Suns team as a whole, not just Devin Booker and how fluid their game has looked, even without Chris Paul there. Yeah, I think that's where you got to give the praise to, to Cameron Payne, who was debutizing for, for CP3. <laughs> yeah. uh, 11 points, 9 assists. I mean, if he yeah. can keep up this sort of play, I mean, they're, they're going to be able to uh, be right up there in all these games, even without CP3. Obviously, they have their choice. They're obviously wanting to be, have CP3 back. But there's a good chance that, they could go without CP3 for at least the first four games of this series. So they need campaign to keep up this, uh, this level of, uh, of offense that he was providing. And if he can do that, the, the Clippers are down Kawhi. We got, we can't forget. So it's a very open se- series, even though Phoenix are likely going to be without CP3 for probably at least three or four games. Yeah. Any more news on that? Cause it feels it's such a weird period for these types of COVID protocols because I think all signs kind of show that Chris Paul was vaccinated, but he did test positive. And, you know, if you test positive and you go a certain number of days, technically you're not like shedding virus or anything, but it, it's going to be a weird kind of exception, right? Where, you know, medically speaking, he would be allowed to be out in public after a certain period of time but then he couldn't go and play. So I, I, I don't know how they're going to sort that out when he's going to actually be allowed to play. Cause say he continues to test positive. I mean, he might be out for the rest of the playoffs if that's not an exception that's been made. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we're at a week. I think today is one week since he tested positive. And I think it's usually a two week marker. That's what it has been, or it can be possibly seven to 10 days. If you can get a, a few negative tests in a row, I think, yeah. Even after all this time, it's still it's still kind of a bit up in the air. We still don't really know for sure what way what way that it's going to go. But hey, the way campaign's playing at the moment, who, who needs who Chris Paul? Who needs, who needs Chris Paul? So let, let's take more triple doubles from Devin Booker. Um, I'm not going to give any prediction on this, but man, Paul George, you know they they didn't win this game here, but Paul George is continuing to show up for this team. We we've given him plenty of shit, not just this year, last year as well. The year before that, I mean, Paul George has consistently choked in the playoffs. But right now, every time Kawhi has been out, 
throughout the regular season and in these past couple of series, you know, he's showed up. He's been the primary shot creator, playmaker for most of this game. And Randy Jackson as well. I mean, he's had a man, he had a terrible, terrible season last year. And throughout much of the season this year, I mean, he was being benched for Luke Kennard. He was being benched for Patrick Beverly. Roger Rondo was even getting minutes over him at certain points. But Reggie Jackson has arrived. You're seeing more of the the Pistons OKC Reggie Jackson that they hope to get out of him in the buyout. But if he continues to play like this, if you continue to get PG-13, if maybe you need to get some more out of, out of Luke Kennard, um, they, they still have a shot. But in terms of, of talent, you know, I just said I'm not going to make a prediction, but the the way the way the Suns looked, just as a team, you know, I, I think the Clippers were so used to, you know, it's a Kawhi and PG show. How are they going to adjust for a seven game series with it just being the PG show? Mm. I think the Suns are built to operate with Devin Booker to operate as a team like that. They've had to deal with this already, and you know, I think they're ready for the challenge. I mean, this is this is more on on Paul George. I think the Suns are riding the momentum that they've had Paul George this is his moment to really make a statement if the Clippers figure this out winning without Kawhi I think this this would be the one series that Paul George would need to put away all the hate put away all the the past performances that he's choked on if he finds a way to bring the Clippers to the promised land here against all odds I mean that would be the greatest statement of all yeah absolutely I think uh just put more respect on, on Paul George. I've been one of his biggest critics, but the the Clippers won four straight uh, to get, get through against Utah. He put up 31, 31, 37, then 28. And then obviously last night he had 34. It was just in those four wins, he had uh, the role players stepped up as well. And then last night, the role players just didn't really step up like uh, like the Clippers ultimately needed. Obviously, you think if Paul George keep putting up these sort of numbers, the role players will be able to contribute that bit more, which is going to be needed for the Clippers without without having Kawhi. So the pressure is kind of on the role players. Obviously, we still be questioning a bit on George. Can he keep it up? Can he do it by himself? But if he can keep up putting these sort of numbers the way he has been over the last uh, the last four or five games, and the the Clippers uh, role guys like Reggie Jackson, like uh, like Man, like Batum, all these sort of guys, if they can step up, it's going to be very, very prob- probable and a real tight series all the way here. Yeah, Marcus Morris, we got to look out for that if he's going to be fully healthy. Uh, only played four minutes in the second half. Mm. Um, he's going to be a key contributor. And man, are they missing Serge Ibaka? Just, mm. it, it, was, it was one of those like, weird like not sure if he's going to come back in the playoffs and then we found out uh last week that he had the the season ending surgery but that would have been massive for him to be here right now um because i think the reality that the clippers are facing right now um is that you know th- this is a different beast than the rudy gobert pick and roll i think the the Suns have put together a game around Aiton that has really started to work because you also have to respect Aiton's mid-range and i think Aiton and Booker, if they keep playing like this and they keep exploiting the the lack of interior defense that the Clippers have struggled with in the playoffs, I think they're they're going to find the recipe for success here. And you know we'll we'll see what happens. I'm I'm excited to to see a few more forty point triple doubles from Booker. I I think we're going to see a huge games out of Aiton um, unless Zubox figures something out. But playoff P, let's see it.
Yeah, I mean, let's be real here. Unless you're a, a Los Angeles Kippers fan, everyone is behind the Phoenix Suns. Everyone wants to see Chris Paul in the finals. This is this is his best chance to get a ring. Everyone wants to see Phoenix get the job done here. And they're going to be going over to, if they can get through here, they're playing either Milwaukee or Atlanta. It, they'd be playing them the finals. And while they will be a big challenge, it ain't the Brooklyn Nets. So yeah, the opportunity is definitely there. And let's go, Phoenix. I want to see CP3 get a ring. I want to see my boy D-Book announce himself to the NBA world as one of the elite players. Let's have it. This is going to be yeah. a great chance for you guys. Well, I'm excited to see it. Let's talk end of this week. We will have a few more games in. Who knows? Maybe we're going to have Hawks, Bucks already already starting to get put away. We're not going to count out the Bucks even if they get two terrible game one and game two. I don't even know who to count out anymore. Um, and that that I that point you made about the Nets, I, I can't believe I didn't even think about that until now. But, you know, saying Nets pull off that game and Kyrie gets healthy, Harden gets another week to, to get healthy. You know, then that's that's a huge, huge difference between, you know, a fully healthy Bucks and you get Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant back on the floor along with James Harden. That this opened up everything. Yeah, it would it would have been it's just crazy to think to think about the little the little differences that uh that that are all around here. But hey you you can only you can only worry about it for this year. No one's shedding the tear for Brooklyn. They'll they'll be back uh Without any too, without too much trouble next season, and probably uh, for another couple of years after that. So no one's shedding a tear for them at this moment. And now that it's uh, down to uh, the the final four, I'm, I'm definitely all aboard the uh, the Phoenix Suns bus. Yeah, and more importantly, we'll close on this. Tomorrow is the draft lottery. Mm-hmm. Boy, am I holding my breath. <laughs> Boy, am I holding my breath. Well, we'll see what happens, but. Bulls have a 20% chance to stay in the lottery, to stay and keep their pick. I'm, I don't even know what, I'm not going to wear my Zion Williamson jersey this time. That's for sure. <laughs> that was the last thing I wanted to do a draft lottery. That's not happening. But we're going to see a lot, a lot of crazy things tomorrow night, especially with this stacked draft class. A lot of teams are going to leave excited with brand new futures ahead of them and potentially Teams like Chicago might end up leaving with uh, their tail between their legs. You also got to look at the Timberwolves. It's the top three protected pick. And you got to think that all eyes in Minnesota are going to be on TVs, hoping that they keep that. And Golden State, with all the instability around the league, maybe we'll, hey, maybe we should have some more. We should have a, a Simmons trade machine. <laughs> we should have a Simmons trade machine uh, episode because who knows if they, if they, uh, they decide they want to shake things up. Maybe Ben belongs over there. Yeah, who knows? I mean, oh man, God, uh, let, let, let's. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the camp of let's hope uh, Minnesota hold on to their pick. But uh, God, uh, it could be let it burn. Huge. It, it could I want to see it burn. <laughs> <laughs> but until next time, we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see how I'm feeling. I God, I'm hoping for the best. And until then.
Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.